When a borrowed axe head sank to the bottom of a river, the prophet Elisha tossed a stick into the water. God caused the axe head to float to the surface. Get ready to get your spiritual edge back and experience God's ridiculous recovery. So tonight we're talking about Elisha, part four. We're finishing up this beautiful Elisha series. Anybody enjoyed the Elisha series? Been good. And we're talking tonight about getting your spiritual edge back. We're talking about getting your spiritual edge back. Now, before we jump into this, I wonder how many of you, maybe like me, are often looking for things that you have misplaced. Anybody ever misplaced anything? It bothers me to no end how much of my time I spend looking for things that I've lost. Patty always says, they're not lost, honey, they're just misplaced. But if they're misplaced to me, they're lost. And usually I go to blaming people pretty quick. Like the housekeepers, they stole it. Or like my son-in-laws, they took it home with them. And the last people I accuse is my daughters. Maybe they took it, but my daughters wouldn't want manly things that I have. And at times I'm looking for things and get frustrated when so often I actually have them in my possession when I'm looking for them. Now that's crazy, but I've looked for my glasses when they were on my face. (laughs) Don't say you hadn't done that. You have too. I've looked for my car keys when they were in my hand. On my thumb, over my hand, I could, it's there. Checkbook when it was in my pocket. In fact, I was, at a, I was at a store one day, and I had a suit coat on, and I had the checkbook right inside this suit pocket, and I think I've told this here before, but it's worth telling again. I said, honey, I, I don't have my checkbook. I've got to take all this back. I thought I had, I didn't have any credit. I didn't have anything with me except my checkbook. I said, I, I, I don't guess I, I can take this stuff here today. She said, sir, if you're like my dad, she said, you got a coat on. Won't you check this pocket right here? Boom, there's a checkbook. I said, thank you. Your dad and I must be twins. Cap, I've missed my cap before. It's been on my head, cocked back. I've actually been on the phone with my phone in my pocket with a former earpiece in my ear talking to someone when I was stupid enough to say, I'm looking everywhere and I cannot find my phone. That is a fact. You don't have to believe it, but that is a fact. And I'm so happy you don't believe it because you don't want to think you have a pastor that is goofy and crazy like that. Have you ever done anything like that? Please, in the name of Jesus, would you raise your hand and say, every now and then that happens to me, pastor. It worries me a little. At least it hasn't just started. It wasn't a 60 thing. It's been a career for me. Have been a career. And there's a good chance for many of you who are followers of the Lord that you've actually lost something spiritual sometimes in your nature. Some of you may have lost a passion for God. Let's talk about it now. Some of you may have lost joy, that settled contentment that you used to possess. Some of you at one time had great faith and you prayed and prayed for big things and God did them. Some are not praying as much today and they're believing even less than they're praying. Let me remind you where we've been with the prophet Elisha. Week one, we talked about burning plows. Remember that? Week two, we talked about digging ditches. Remember that? Week three, we talked about gathering jars. Remember that? And tonight, 
we're going to look at, honestly, one of the oddest miracles in the entire Bible. In fact, if you look through and survey the different miracles that Elisha performed, there were some really big and important miracles, like he healed a poisoned body of water which saved a community. He raised a boy from the dead. He provided for a widow. We talked about that last week, who had lost her two sons after losing her, who would have lost her two sons after losing her husband. He was an instrument to heal Naaman, the commander who had leprosy, when he told him to dip seven times in the Jordan River. And he blinded an entire army to move forward the things of God in a battle. He did those very significant things. But tonight's miracle that we're going to look at is a seminary student who borrowed an axe and was chopping on a tree. And the axe head flew off the, and, 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 uh, off the stick and into the water. And then Elisha, the man of God, takes the stick and throws it in the water. And the axe head floats and we all say, wow. But what is the meaning of all this? He made an axe head float. And we're saying, that's cool. That's wonderful. That's groovy and everything. But I don't really see at all the significance, Pastor, what you're going to talk about. Well, let me, let me give you a couple of things that are significant to me. Number one. One thing you need to know, that iron shaped like an axe doesn't float. And God let the thing that could not, he let it float. There's some things (laughs) that you think are over in your life. And God said, it ain't over till I say it's over. That will never surface. That will never come back to my life. I'll never get that zeal again. I'll never. And God says, an axe head floated. Something that wasn't supposed to float, floated. It's also very valuable at this time. Iron was, and it was hard to come by, number two. Number three, and this prophet who was studying, this young man, who lost the axe head, was very likely poor. In fact, he was kind of like a college student, living on student loans, eating ramen noodles. That's the kind of kid he was. And some of you know what I'm talking about right now because you've been to college and you understand how it was in college. He had borrowed that axe and he couldn't pay it back. He was what we call a non-profit prophet. (laughs) You'll get that tomorrow. This guy doesn't have much and he loses his axe head. And then we see the man of God bring the axe head back, which shows you very clearly our big God actually cares about the little details in our lives. Say, our big God actually cares about the little details in my life. Everybody say, that comforts me. No matter what you're going through, if you've got a headache, God cares. Say amen to that. I want to hear a witness. If you've got a chemistry test coming up tomorrow, God cares. He won't study for you, but he cares. Your car won't start again in the morning. God cares. If you're on the phone when you can't find your phone, God's laughing, but he cares. (laughs) He really does. Our God cares about even the little things. Say the little things God cares about. Now, let's, let's look at this story and see some other valuable principles that we can pull out of it. If you remember, Elisha was mentored by Elijah. And now we see this prophet Elisha who will do twice the miracles as did Elijah. He's mentoring the next generation of young prophets. Who wanted to learn from him. And so there's all these young prophets. And they're pumped. And they're saying wow. You the man. We want to study with you. Can I study with you. And Elisha built a school for prophets. And there were so many of them. That they actually outgrew the school. Imagine that. 
They wanted to be with the prophet. And that's where we pick up the story, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. You'll read it, I'll read it. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place for us to meet. And he said, Go. Then one of the students said, Won't you please come with us, your servants? And Elisha said, I will. And he went with them, and they went to the Jordan and began to cut down the trees. Now, here comes the action. Don't miss this. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick, threw it there, and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. The man reached out his hand and he took it. Everybody say praise the Lord for the word. Now besides God caring about the little details, there's one major point that I want you to embrace internally that we're going to come back to again and again and again in this message. And here it is. You ready? Write this down. God knows how to help you find what you didn't intend to lose. Everybody say God. Knows how to help me find what I didn't mean to lose. Woo. If you throw it away, he may not be there to help you find it. But what you didn't intend to lose, he's there to help you find it. Those of you who have lost something spiritual in nature, be reminded that we serve a God who is totally into restoration. Everybody say, He restores. Say, God is a restorer. He can restore our family. He can restore me in the job market. He can restore my health. He can restore my life. He can restore my habits. He can restore the things that I've lost and I didn't mean to lose. Everybody say, God is a restoring God. He's into restoration. Clap your hands to that. That's good stuff. And as we talk about... Losing this axe head, losing the edge. What I want to do is, I want to show you metaphorically how this might apply to your spiritual life and teach you some things symbolically. The big question I want to ask you is this. How have you lost your spiritual edge? How have you lost it? I want you to to be pensive for just a moment. How have you lost it? We need to get real honest and say, how did I lose my spiritual energy, my spiritual edge, if I have? And some of you may say, really, Pastor, I haven't. And if that's you, I celebrate you and thank God for you. But the Bible says the enemy seeks to wear out the saints of God. Erosion is a very long process. A praying mantis hardly ever moves, but he does move quick enough to catch flies. And there's things that happen very slowly in our life, very slowly. The erosion of things happens very slowly, and I am not pinning anything on anybody here. Many of you who are honest may say there is another time in my life when we were more into the things of God than we are today. And so I would ask you to acknowledge specifically and honestly, how have you lost your spiritual edge. Some might recognize that there was a time when you had committed godly Christians around you. And it was easy to pray with those people. It was easy to talk about God with those people. It was easy to have Bible studies with those people. 
But now you still have Christian friends around you, but they're not really building you up. They're not really celebrating your victories. They're not really telling you that's a great thing that God's done in your life. They're not there to build you up. They're there to talk to you in a negative tone, in a negative sense. Many people have lost their spiritual edge, still running with Christians, but not Christians like we used to run with. Second thing, some of you, there was a time when you served in the church. And you had a thrill of being used by God, making a difference with your gifts. It was hard. It was fulfilling. Now life's pretty much about, parenthesis, my time. What I can do. I'll get to church, maybe, but I don't know if I can ever help the church. Some of you, there was a time when you had a passion for prayer. I'm preaching to you now. I mean, you would even get up early and you'd pray for long and for lots of people. Maybe now you get to pray at a meal. Maybe big things, perhaps, but not a consistent prayer life. Some of you at one point in your life, you really loved to share your faith with other people. And you had a deep love for those who were outside the body of Christ. And you might have gotten discouraged. And some of you, You might have, when you really get honest, notice that your standards have eroded. Did things that you know please God back then. Love to honor God with your life and your soul and your heart and your strength. Let me preach. And then I don't know, something happened. You got one set of friends and they said, come on, come on, come on, come on. And you said, okay, just this one time. I'll do what you want me to do. And then before long, you started cutting some corners. And taking some shortcuts and doing some things that you probably shouldn't have been doing. And now you wake up and wonder, how did I get over here? I have no idea what happened to me. Where have I ended up? The reality is it can happen to any of us. Because we have a spiritual enemy whose mission is to steal and to kill and to destroy. Can I stop right now and say that's why church ought to be red hot every time we come to the house of God? Come on. Come on. We ought to be red hot every time we come to the house of God. Hell don't want us to have church like this tonight. Hell don't want you to clap for the things of God. Hell don't want you to embrace the miracles of God. But this house is going to continue to celebrate victories and strength and honor and power with Jesus Christ. going to do it. You want to do it? Say amen. In fact, I want to tell you what happened to me years ago. I want to share something with you that I've never shared with the church anywhere. I was pastoring a church in Dallas, Texas. I was on fire for God. I took that church when I was 25, so passionate about souls and preaching. Praying folks through, baptizing all kinds of people, teaching up to 15 Bible studies a week. Not patting myself on the back. That's the only way I knew to grow a church. That's what they taught me. Growing a church at a speedy rate, two to three new couples every week. The church went from 15 members to 500 in four short years. With 350 to 375 in attendance almost every Sunday. But the role, the Baptist role was 500. Like our role here is over 3,000. But we need to get those people to the house of God. Say amen to that. Then an OMG happened, and it hit me hard, hard to explain how to explain it. A tremendous alone feeling. My zeal cooled. I became cautious. I really did. I, had a st- I still had the mindset, but my heart wasn't on fire like it used to be. It was almost like a defeating spirit overwhelmed me. 
not defeated, but it interrupted my life. I will say it. I said it then. I've done all of this, really, and I get this because I was honest with God. I worked myself silly for the kingdom, and now this, really? Then something beautiful happened. Patty came into my world. Then we had what many called a promotion. I became youth president of a Pentecostal organization, had that opportunity for five years. Moved to Missouri, started traveling 200-plus days a year, preaching any and everything my heart ever wanted to preach. Conferences, camps, foreign missions programs, traveling all around America internationally. Met famous ministers, dignitaries, governors, senators, ball players, officials. Ball players, officials, ball players, officials. <laughs> Playing golf with the who's who of St. Louis. Please bear with me. Highbrow stuff. And one day I received a call to come to Bogalusa, Louisiana to preach a minister's conference. It was not my first trip there. It was, a, it was a very famous minister's conference. It was one of the biggest in Louisiana. Nor would it be my last trip there. I had preached there my first year in ministry. In fact, my sixth message that I ever preached in my life was preached there at a youth service before the main service in January of 1971 when I first started ministry full time. I preached about the Hebrew boys in the furnace, not bowing to the king. It wasn't deep. Didn't have hardly any content at all. Did a lot of hollering, a lot of screaming, but it wasn't much preaching. It was the hottest selling tape at the conference in 1982, 1983. Not my present preaching, but the tape from 1971 sold more tapes than anything that I preached that year in 1983. The story's about over. I took the tape back to St. Louis. They gave me one. And in a car going home from the office one day, I plugged that tape in. And I heard a rookie attempt to preach. It was the pits. It was junk city. It was the horror of horrors. I said, my God, that's the worst I've ever heard in my life. I've heard junior high Sunday school teachers preach better than that. And I laughed at me. I laughed at me. I made fun of my sermon. And suddenly, the car was engaged by heaven. And God spoke to me right now. Son, he said, I wish you were the preacher you are now, but had the spirit that you had then. I lost my edge. I had lost my axe handle. Not realizing it had slipped off my axe handle, I had lost my edge. And that day, in a grocery store parking lot, with tears flowing, heart overwhelmed, I prayed to get my edge back. I didn't mean to pursue emptiness. I didn't mean to pursue possessions. I didn't mean to pursue grief. But sometimes when you're swinging the axe, you can lose your edge. And if your pastor Preaching to you tonight, this Bible study lost his edge when he was 33 years old. Everyone in this house can lose their edge. It does not mean you've lost God, but God is willing to help you get back what you didn't mean to lose. Help me preach somebody. I want to talk to you tonight. So how do you get 
your edge back. How do you do it? First of all, we need to be honest about where we lost it. If you can't be honest with yourself, you can't be honest with anybody. Or as Shakespeare said in one of his great plays, above all else, to thine own self, be true. Verse 6, Elijah asked, Elijah asked, where did it fall? In other words, the axe head isn't gone. It's just where you left it. Where did it fall? And I would ask you, where did you lose your edge? Where did you start to lose that spiritual advantage? Where did that erosion start in your life? You're smart people, and if you look back, you can probably say, oh, yeah, I remember when I took that wrong turn. I made some friends that were probably the wrong friends, and I started dating the wrong guy. And, you know, pastor said he was a slush and not a cherry limeade. (laughs) And he took me down. Maybe for some of you, you dropped the discipline. Maybe for some of you, you used to pray and you stopped. I'm not trying to be negative tonight. You used to be devoted to the word, searching for God and his word, and then you stopped. You used to be a tither, and you kind of got behind, so you just stopped. You used to be a worshiper, but you've stopped. The enemy has stopped up your wells. The joy of worshiping God and trusting him in that way is no longer a part of your life. You used to, and then you stopped. I think it's time tonight to go back to the place where we lost it and get honest enough and say, I'm going to get my edge back. I'm going to get that axe head back. I'm going to reattach it to the handle, and we're going to do some more chopping in our life. Amen? Say amen to that. Some of you. Oh, I hadn't preached this way in a long time. Some of you, perhaps you thought your secret wasn't going to hurt anyone, but you didn't realize it wasn't really a secret because God knew it was really hurting you. Some of you, maybe you got hurt by somebody, someone in the church, maybe a minister, maybe some Christian, and you're like, hey, if they're going to act that way, stick it in their ears. I can't do this anymore. And you've allowed your heart to grow hard. And you blamed God over what someone else did. And God is not to blame for what someone else did. In fact, right now, if you're in that valley of hurt, I want everybody in this house to clap your hands and give God a hand clap because he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Come on, clap your hands. He didn't do that. God didn't do that. God did not do that. God did not do that. He deserves your praise. God did not do that. God did not do that. He deserves your praise and adulation. God did not do that. People did that. Don't get people misplaced with God Almighty. God, oh, God is your friend. God is your help. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. You didn't get that from God. Come on, magnify the Lord here tonight. Be honest about where you lost it. Please be seated. Second thing that I believe this text teaches us is this. First, be honest about where you lost it. Second, with God's help, take back what you've lost. Everybody say, I'm going to take it back. With God's help, I'm going to take it back. Because our God specializes in helping you find what you didn't mean to lose. 
Verse 6 and 7 of that beautiful 2 Kings chapter said, Where'd you lose the axe head? And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick (laughs) and threw it there and made the iron float, and he said, Lift it out. Now watch this. Everybody say, Lift it out. out. Touch the person who's your second choice and say, Lift it out. Touch the person who's your third choice and say, lift it out. Touch the person who's your fourth choice and say, lift it, lift it out. That ought to be you. Lift it out. Lift it out. I'm like LeBron. Lift it out. Come on, lift it out. Say it to yourself. Lift it out. Only God can make an axe head swim, but you got to lift it out. Come on. With God's help, we're going to lift it out. With God's help, we're going to take it back. With God's help, we're going to take back what we have lost. Remember a couple of weeks ago we studied about the ditches? Only God can send the water, but somebody's got to dig a ditch. Last week... We talked about God can multiply the oil, but he wants you to gather the jars. This week, only God can make the axe head float, but he wants you to lift it out. I say, I'm going to lift it. He wants you to take back what you lost as he brings back it to within your reach. You've got to get it back into your grasp. I can remember. I can remember in my life when I saw such zeal and such enthusiasm with so many people that I minister to around the country. I, I, I just saw enthusiasm and zeal. And I go back sometime to those churches now, and they're just so staid. They're so... non-responsive. They just don't... There's just no response. It's almost like Pastor's got to come up with some new thing. There's got to be some new gizmo. There's got to be some new thing. There's got to be something special outside the lines. There's got to be some kind of circus act. Can I tell you what? The cross is still the cross. The grave is still the grave. I'm not trying to make you emotional now, but the resurrection is still the resurrection. Jesus is still a healer, He's still a Savior. He's still a deliverer. He's still a bringer together. He's a uniter of homes. He still does that. And God specializes in getting back to you what you didn't mean to lose. That's what he specializes in. Everybody put your hand on your chest and say, I'm going to lift it out. The moment you start to think, maybe I can get it back, I I can promise you there will be a voice in the back of your head that says, oh, no, you can't get it back. You can't. It's been too long, you've gone too far, and you've done too much, and you can never have it back. After all you've done, you lost the best of what you could ever have. Let me tell you something. Listen to me. Jesus is in the garden. This is not my notes. He's in the garden. The Roman soldiers have come to take him away. And he says, because Pete tried to rescue him and cut Malchus' the servant's ear off, and, and the Lord healed that ear. The last thing he ever healed was an ear, which means if you've got that healed ear, you need to listen to what I'm about to say right now. He said, think it not that I could even now call to my father 
and he would send me 12 legions of angels right now. 12 legions of angels. 6,000 in a legion. 72,000 angels. One with a little finger could knock them all over. He said, I could have 72,000 come take care of me right now. But so the scripture could be fulfilled. I'm not going to make that call. But what he's telling you, it don't matter if your back's against the wall. It don't matter if it's midnight in the garden. It doesn't matter if everybody's against you. You hear me. He told me to tell you it's never too late to pray. It's never too late to pray. I don't care what you throw off the ship trying to survive the storm. Don't you throw your prayer life off. Don't you throw your faith off. Don't you throw everything else off. You get down on your knees and you pray and ask God because God still answers prayer. Somebody dance a little bit right now. Just dance a little bit. It's never too late to pray. My kids will never be saved. Don't say that. My family will never be restored. Don't say that. God's into restoration. He restores. He restores. Mm. It's not too late to get back what you thought you could never have again. Not too late. Not too late. You haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much because our God specializes in helping you find what you didn't mean to lose. What does he want you to do? He's going to make it within reach. You have got to lift it out yourself. You've got to grab it back. So here's what you do. You do what you can do. And you trust God to do what you cannot do. Everybody say, I'm going to do what I can do. And I'm going to trust God to do what I cannot do. What I'm preaching is, we're not going to be victims. We're going to be victors. God's church is not going to finish this race limping on a cane. God's church is going to leave this world rejoicing, praising, glorifying the Lord. He didn't bring this in for us to get weak at the end. He brought it in small so we could finish with a grand, grand exit. You listen to this pastor. This church is not going to whimper to the finish line. It's going to rejoice to the finish line. And when the trumpet sounds, we're going to go home rejoicing. Amen. We're not going under. We're going over. (laughs) Say amen. Say amen. Can you make an axe head float? No. But can you lift it out when he brings it within your reach? Yes. Can you create in your own spirit, spiritual passion, faith? No. But you come to hear the word of God and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. You can put yourself in a place where you hear God's word and so God can build your faith. You know that God hears and answers prayer so you can choose to pray. You can choose to worship. You can choose to share your faith even when you don't feel like it. I love what Revelation 2, 4, and 5 says. Jesus said, you have forsaken the love you had at first. He told the church at Ephesus. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the first things and do the things you did at first again. Here's what he said. Repent and do the things you did at first. 
In other words, go back to where the axe fell into the water. Go back and do that all over again and see if that passion don't come back because I'm going to throw a stick in that water and God's going to elevate that iron. And you're going to pick it up and you're going to be restored. That edge is coming back. How many of you want the edge in your life again? Amen. How many would like to just stand at your door and say, not tonight, devil. You ain't coming in this house. I'm going I'm I'm to fly to Indianapolis tomorrow, and I'm going to preach for one of my buddies, a 10-year anniversary Friday night. And uh, he, was, he was in bed one night. God woke him up 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, when God does that to me, I think it's just too much pizza or something, you know. I'm not the most spiritual person. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty practical, but, but I've gotten up to pray because I realize it was prayer time. He went, to the, he went to his couch to pray. Back doors ahead of him, front door was behind him. He was praying when he saw an intruder come to the sliding glass door in the back of his house. And that intruder opened that door, and Brother John bailed over that couch and went after him in the name of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. <laughs> And the intruders turned and ran, and Brother John did not get his hands on him, and he ran out. The next morning, they discovered he had killed two people three houses down. He was on a murder spree, and God woke him up. I'm going to tell you something. God wants you to get your edge back. Some of you need to say, you know what? You know what? We've been laissez-faire around this house, but from this day forward, we're going to make some commands around here. Satan... You're not welcome. You're not welcome here. Your little business don't work here. It ain't going to work in this house. Amen. It's like that old preacher that went to that fortune teller one time to see if she could talk to him. And he, she said, what's different about you? I can't read your fortune. He said, that's so good because I can read yours. <laughs> he was my buddy. You know what? I'm telling you, hell needs to get its music, I mean, I mean, it, its message scrambled. Hell needs to have a scrambled system instead of us having our, all of our stuff scrambled. We need to get clear on what God has for us and say, this is God's house. This is our house. This belongs to the house of people of God. And we're going to live in this house in faith, in favor, in victory, and glory, and honor with God. We're going to get our edge back in this house. We're going to do it. You do what you can do and trust God to do what you can't do. You know, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus in the temple. That's weird. How do you lose Jesus in the house of God? And you're his parents for crying out loud. And they go, they go away and it takes them three days to find him. He's not with them. How do you leave? Well, I'll be honest. I've been left in the church. How many kids have ever been left in the church? You ever been asleep? Daddy thought mama got you. Mama thought daddy got you. And Jesus got you. But he didn't come pick you up. One of the scariest moments of my life, I woke up in church one night and the lights were all off. I was under a pew. I was scared senseless. About that time, the lights turned on and I heard my daddy's voice. And when I heard my daddy's voice, I quit crying. I didn't want him to think that I was scared in that house. I was petrified in that house. Some of you have been raised around church. You know when the lights go out, <laughs> the last place some people want to be is in the house of God. But I want to tell you something right now. This house has got a good feeling when the lights go out. 
because I really believe, I really believe when people have their edge, Almighty God just camps his angels around here, and I'm getting wild right now. I'm getting outside the lines. And he says, they're going to be back in a few days, and they're going to be praising God. They're going to be magnifying me. So just kind of hang on and watch everything around here. We had a little incident with our parking lot, and I, I called Brother Jose, and I said, Brother Jose, I need a little help. And I want him to tell you what it was, but I had some worries, some concern. And so Brother Jose came and helped me. And I prayed last night before I went to bed that everything would be all right, that nobody would walk across our property, nobody would fall into anything, and we would not have any entrapments or any deaths in, on our parking lot. And God helped us. And I got back to church this morning, and I asked that everything's fine, everything's cool. I think everything we ought to do is by prayer. Everything ought to be by prayer. Everything ought to be by prayer. This is God's house. Come on. This is God's house. And Sunday morning, we're going to have brand new people here. And Sunday morning, we're going to have brand new converts here. And Sunday morning, we're going to have brand new candidates for baptism here. Sunday morning, we're going to get our edge back. There's going to be a church in this world in the last days that's going to still magnify the Lord. Come on. Still magnify the Lord for his good and his mercy endures forever. Come on. Praise him. I'm almost done. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. I'm almost finished. Now, let me tell you just a little bit of the process of the things that I did to get my edge back. In my mind, in my mind, I got out of the country. 1984, I went to the Philippines. I loved it so much, I went back in 1985. And I went there because I wanted to go to a place where I was disturbed by how satisfied and content some people were who had nothing. And let it rattle me on the inside who had been blessed with so much. I held little babies in the Philippines that were fevered and they asked me to pray for them. I prayed for young men who were going to Bible college and they got up out of their cots because it was their faith, not my prayer. And I loved on people who had nothing. And I saw a band play. I saw a boy play the bass guitar in the band in the Philippines at Brother Galliamet's church, who, which was a gymnasium in downtown Manila. And he was so humbled by the fact that God had chosen him to play the bass. He was a, he was a jazz bassist, and he played in some of the biggest clubs in Manila. But God had saved him. And he wouldn't even face the audience because he didn't want the audience to see his face. He just turned his back on the audience and just let the audience hear his music. That's humility. And I thought, my God, I need to be around that in my life. Is that okay if I preach that? And, 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 it, and, 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 and it messed me up. And I came home, and I let it bother me. And it did for weeks. And I let it bring divine anger up inside my spirit. And I let God use that to fuel me, to fuel me, to, do, to want to do good for people and help people in this world. And I committed to fasting like I'd never done before. And I committed to doing things so I could connect with God in more prayer. And I increased the percentage of my already giving and my tithe. I gave more. Just to remind myself that life is not in the things of this world, but in my investment in the glory and the kingdom of our good God. And I increased that even beyond where I already was. And I made a commitment to seek God the first thing every morning when I got up. He had to be before my first cup of coffee. He had to be before my first glass of milk and my first honey nut Cheerios. And in the smallest of way, when I met people, I, I tried to turn every conversation into a Jesus talk. And I wanted them to know quickly who I was and what I was. Your pastor, since 1984, 85, has never been ashamed 
to call himself a preacher of the gospel. I don't care who I meet on the airplane. If they ask me, I say, you, 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 guess, guess what I am. Just guess what I am. Guess what I am. One guy said, an auctioneer. I said, I wouldn't stoop to do that, and I love all auctioneers. I said, guess what I am. And they said, I can't guess. I said, I'm a preacher of the gospel. I don't say I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I met a golf pro one day. He said, are you a preacher that pastors or are you a pastor that preaches? I said, which you want me to be? He said, well, I like a pastor that knows how to preach. I said, that's me. So that's good. That's great. I love to say what I am. I enjoy being who I am. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. And every Sunday, when I, when I reached out and picked up that axe, God put it within my grabbing distance and I grabbed it back. And now when I preach, now when I preach every Wednesday night, now when I preach every Sunday, I preach from an overflow of the passion of the kingdom of God to bring Him glory and to reach people who need to know Him and to help people who are hurting in our world here in Austin. Everybody that's hurting can come to Christian Life Church and there's a bomb in Gilead here. There's somebody that'll help you in this house. Come on, come on, let's get our edge back. Let's start helping people like we never have before. You're the greatest people on the face of the earth. You're a child of God. You've been bought with the price. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's fresh and it's real at this moment because God specializes in helping us get back what we didn't mean to lose. The book of Joel said he would help restore the years. The locust had eaten. I'm finished. Come help me, Brother Randy. Proverbs 6 says that when the enemy steals something, he's got to pay back seven times. You tell him, you're paying me back, big boy, with interest seven times over. You thought I was hot back then. Check me out now. I'm fixing to get steaming hot. I'm fixing to get all over your kingdom. Pastor, you never preach this way. Hallelujah. Well, I am tonight. I'm coming back seven times hotter because our God specializes in bringing back what you didn't mean to lose. I preached about Elisha healing Naaman in this church, and leprosy has always been a type of sin. And I preached on the word restore here before because when he was dipped in the river, he came out seven times. His skin was restored. He didn't look like a leper. The Hebrew word that is used in the word restore is the word shove, which literally means to be made better than new. Can I tell you, God can take your old 54 model, my 49 model, and shine it up and make it just like new. God can take your 85 model and restore you like you've never been restored in your life. Thank you, Pastor, for preaching to us tonight. I love you. Thank you for listening to the Christian Life Austin podcast. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.